Welcome back to another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong and Josh Goldberg with you. You can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at J Goldberg 12. Josh, it's been too long. It's been a couple of weeks, but uh, funnily enough, not much has changed with the Blue Jays. The pitching is still good and the offense is still shitty. That's uh, kind of how it's going in Blue Jays land right now. Yeah, man. Like I keep waiting. And the last time a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, like I, I will have to renounce my baseball knowledgeable card, like the ability to talk about it with any conviction. If this blue Jays offense doesn't start hitting and a couple of weeks later, it's arguably gotten worse. Like, you know, you're facing the Yankees bullpen, lots of velo, you know, I can sort of excuse that. It's not a great indictment on how you'll be able to handle if you are able to get to the playoffs, because that's what you're going to be facing. But when, you know, you didn't take advantage of Cleveland and then everyone had Cincinnati circled on the calendar. Well, home series dome's going to be open. It's the reds. They stink. You'll be able to take care of business. You know, even though you saw Luis Castillo and Hunter Green, you figured that the Reds would be an elixir of sorts to get the bats on track. And they scored, I believe it was seven runs in three games against the worst team in baseball. And sure, they took two of those three. Like you said, the pitching has been very good, but that's not a series you should feel great about. Like we're past the point now where, like, I know wins are wins are wins and all wins are created equal. They have a they have a minus run differential, and we're towards the end of May. At some point, you are what you are, and unfortunately, we're starting to get I think maybe closer to a point where the Blue Jays might just be what they are. Like, are they all of a sudden going to flip a switch and become the best offense in baseball? Possibly, but a lot needs to go right. Like a lot has gone wrong up until this point, but simultaneously and conversely, everything then has to break right for them to start scoring runs at the clip that we all expected. Yeah. And I just keep like racking my brain as to what's going on here. You know, you mentioned the velocity the Blue Jays have faced that, you know, teams are pitching them a lot differently this year. There's been a lot of conversation about the baseball and how it's, you know, not doing the same things that it was in prior seasons, but Obviously, the baseball is not affecting a team like the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Houston Astros. Like these teams are still hitting the ball just fine. Uh, and you have a team in the Blue Jays that have track records. Like I know Teoscar Hernandez hasn't really figured it out until the last couple of years, but it's been a pr- pretty consistent run of, you know, offensive success. He's coming off an injury. So he obviously has a- an excuse. But, you know, I look at Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in the month of May, 16 games, he's got a WRC plus of five. Like, what is that? Like, you know, I can get it from Zach Collins, who has become a pumpkin. I can understand it from a a Rymel Tapia or a Bradley Zimmer. But like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has a career OPS of around like 790. Like this is not a guy that is this bad of a hitter. Like what's going on with Lourdes? You know, Vladimir Groundout Jr. has made He's back. He's back (laughs) after being gone for like years, uh, you know, a couple of years. Vladimir Groundout Jr. has made his return to the major leagues and it's just automatic, you know, grounder to short, grounder to third base at this point for Vladdy. And it's getting uh, pretty ugly to watch. And, you know, George Springer is going through it right now. 
Uh, Danny Jansen hasn't been as good as he was since coming back from his oblique. I mean, you know, there, it isn't completely, you know, dark and terrible. Bo Bichette has obviously figured it out over the last month, which is good to see. Santiago Espinal is on a 15-game hitting streak. He's doing well. Alejandro Kirk has turned it around. But other than that, I mean, everybody has been just piss poor. And I was looking at the stats, and for the month of May, I know the Blue Jays have not hit a lot of home runs, but I figured, okay, it can't be that bad. But the Blue Jays have 11 home runs this month which is second worst in the league only to oakland God. oakland who have like you know 24 replacement level players on God. that team and they play in a cavernous ballpark at the coliseum the blue jays are at rogers center and they played a lot of games there this month and they have just not been able to do very much uh it's just kind of absurd and, and like you said you're sort of questioning your uh baseball knowledge and everything you know about the game you know i'm still looking at baseball savant pages and i see a lot of red for a lot mm. of these guys and i'm wondering like is it the baseball like what is happening it's still you know may and if this continues into july and august then yeah i'm going to have to turn in uh, my card and i'm just gonna have to figure out where i stand in the game of baseball yeah it's just getting kind of ridiculous uh, at this point with the offense. And, you know, we're going to get to some listener questions later about, you know, some targets and who the Blue Jays might go after. But mm -hmm. as of right now, there's just no quick fix. I mean, firing Guillermo Martinez or yeah. you know, some of the hitting yeah. coaches, that's not going to do anything. I no. mean, Guillermo Martinez can only do so much. And we got to remember, he was the same guy when they were destroying the baseball last year. So, like, unless Guillermo Martinez has all of a sudden just – you know, told them to hit backwards or do some crazy shit to try to figure this out. Like, I doubt it's him that has caused the offense to suffer this poorly. You got to look at the players and the at-bats and the discipline and just, you know, their lack of good ABs. I mean, we just see bad ABs after bad ABs after bad ABs. I think of the one on uh, Sunday in the series finale against Cincinnati. Blue Jays are gifted a bases loaded situation. Santiago Espinal, who's been great, look, 15 game hitting streak, but swings at a first pitch Horrible. that is in on his hands. Horrible. And then, you know, Matt Chapman, that was a tough AB and a slider from, uh, I think it was Tony Santillan, but it was just like, that's just the way it's been going all season yeah. long. Uh, the Blue Jays put themselves in these spots and then just completely collapse uh, when the opportunity arises. Well, I threw five innings yesterday. They were one for 10 with runners in scoring position. It's like, well, yeah, par for the course. That's just the way that it's been this year. And it's just like, holy shit. How are you that fucking bad for this length of time? Like Scott Carson of Sportsnet, the, the stats guru, tweeted the lowest runners in scoring position averages through 40 games. And there's like a 20 point difference in last place, the 2022 Blue Jays. Like it wasn't even close. They're setting a mark for futility with runners in scoring position at this point of the season that has just never been seen before in the history of this franchise. And you'd like to think that that's not going to continue. Like, I don't think they're going to hit a buck 80 or a buck 85 all season long with runners in scoring position, but the approach, the at bats are horrible. And I don't know what needs to change. Something's got to change there because you can't expect to have the same shit process time after time and expect anything other than a shit result. That's all that's happening right now. It's just like, what are you expecting? You're going up there and, and you just don't seem to really have much of a sense of, of anything up there. It's like, do you press too much? Are you too aggressive? I think that's probably part of it. Like, I don't know. There's, there is no easy fix. Like, yeah, sure. Trade for Josh Bell. Great. That would be great. But like Josh Bell coming in here isn't all of a sudden going to make this lineup hum uh, on all cylinders. Guys got to start playing better. Simple as that. Like 
How many Blue Jays hitters right now can you identify as playing well? Besides Santiago Espinal, who's batting second, which is blowing my mind uh, as, as we talk about this with the St. Louis series coming up. Him, Kirk has been decent, I guess. Not really a lot of pop in that bat, but other than that, no one like it. And, and we're not talking about guys who are just like uh, Bo, I guess, to an extent as mm-hmm. well. But let's throw Bo in there as well. So you're talking about two, maybe three guys. And it's not as if the other five, six guys are just kind of average. You're talking about just horseshit performance after horseshit performance right now. And it's just like you, you can't expect to be competitive when two thirds of your lineup is abysmal. And that's basically what it's been. Well, that's the thing. I mean, even if you brought in a Josh Bell or someone who is hitting well right now, I don't know if that's enough because you've got holes in like 50% of your order right now. So, you know, even if Josh Bell comes in here and does some damage, I mean, is that going to be enough to help out the rest of the lineup? And you mentioned it, Santiago Espinal uh, getting the start at second base tonight against St. Louis, and he will be batting second. And Look, he's on a 15-game hitting streak. He's been one of the better hitters of late. So, you know, there is merits of putting up there, putting him yeah. up there higher in the order. But, my God, this feels a little bit of a panicky move. Yeah. It feels like one of those. I feel It feels like something I saw on Twitter. Like, it feels like uh, Charlie yeah. Montoyo, you know, went and uh, searched out Twitter and was like, hey, how do you think the order should look tonight? And people were like, Espinal batting second. And it was <laughs> like, let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Like, you know what? He's on a roll. Like, it makes sense. And... He's just searching right now. Um, we've seen Bo there. We've seen Vladdy two. We've seen Vladdy three. We've seen Bo clean up. You know, he's just trying to do anything he can to, to shake this order up and try to jumpstart it. I mean, that's what he has at his disposal to, you know, try to manufacture a lineup that, you know, looks a little bit different, put some guys in different spots, because that's all he can do, really. And that seems to be the uh, the idea here behind Santiago Espinal uh, batting second. We will see if it uh, works out tonight against the St. Lewis Cardinals. Before uh, we get into other goings-on in Blue Jays land over the last uh, week and a bit, uh, Jose Barrios will get the start tonight, Josh, in the series opener against the uh, Cardinals. And Barrios coming off one of his better starts of the season. Looked good last time out. He went seven innings, seven innings, uh, giving up no runs against the uh, Seattle Mariners. Now it is the Seattle Mariners, of course, who are not a particularly good offense this year. But it was just nice to see Jose Barrios finally look like the guy that we saw for much of last season because it's been so hit or miss this year where it just comes and goes. You know, I'm not saying it was, you know, the start that completely unlocks it like it seemingly did for Yusei Kikuchi a couple of weeks ago, but I just think it's a step in in the right direction and it just gives you a little bit more confidence now uh, when Barrios goes out there that maybe he has figured something out. He threw a bunch of good curveballs and especially like off-speed stuff to lefties was... I think a bit of a problem so far this year and he had better success. Like he still gave up some hard contact on his fastball and like his fastball was better, but there's, I still think some room for improvement and he didn't get that many swinging strikes. Like a lot of it was called strikes. Like in terms of overall whiffs, the number still wasn't great and you'd like it to be higher because if you're relying on painting both sides of the plate and an umpire to have a reliable zone, as we've seen time and time again this year, that's not necessarily something that you can bank on. You got to be able to miss bats at a better clip. And he's still working on that. And, you know, the Cardinals are a tough lineup. So like, that's not, that's not an easy test whatsoever. Like if you're not sharp, they will make you pay even with a couple of guys, you know, Carlson and O'Neill out of the lineup. That's still not going to be a walk in the park. So I'll be interested to see 
he's just so important. It's just so crucial that he gets on track because like Ryu has been solid since he's come back. And the other three guys, you know, Kikuchi battled his way on Sunday against Cincinnati. He's still hard to square up. He really didn't give up that much in terms of hits. He just got squeezed a bit and he didn't have much command. And then obviously it goes without saying what Manoa and Gosman are bringing to the table. So if Barrios can develop a little bit more consistency and like you said, resemble the pitcher we saw after the deal last year with Minnesota, then you know, like maybe you feel like, okay, this is sustainable with this rotation and you can be competitive even if the offense isn't really humming on all cylinders, but the offense has to get going. Like this team will not reach any level of potential. Like I don't think they'll make the playoffs, honestly, if they don't hit at a reasonable clip, like if they're averaging three and change runs a game this year, they're not making the playoffs in my book. Yeah, I can't see that happening either. That's uh, pretty horrific. Uh, but maybe they could squeak their way into a wild card spot. You never know. It depends how uh, bad the rest of the American League is. But, you know, Hunjin Ryu, who's a touchdown, has uh, looked pretty good since uh, coming back, which is uh, definitely a good sign uh, when you've got uh, some guys like Jose Barrios having a bit of a tough time here and there. It's just good to have another pitcher that can you know give you a little bit of consistency. But, you know, who would have thought? You say Kikuchi, who has been phenomenal, uh, was phenomenal once again this past week, like you said, grinded out through that uh, start against Cincinnati. But over the last week now, 10 and a 10.1 innings pitch last week, gave up two earned runs, struck out 13. And he just looks like a different guy. All the changes that he made finally have clicked and he has, you know, found some consistency. Are we in a situation now? You touched on it. You know, Gossman and Manoa, clearly the one, two, any order you want to put them right now. Is Yuxie Kikuchi the third best pitcher in this rotation above Jose Barrios? Are we still talking like that uh, by the end of the year? Ooh, that's bold. I, I don't know if I'll go there quite yet. We're tre- we might be trending in that direction because Kikuchi misses bats. Like, as much as you want to say, like, Barrios doesn't really struggle with walks and he commands his stuff pretty effectively like he seems to have a pretty good sense of where his pitchers are going to go and he can locate Kikuchi can at times like we saw it with Seattle when he was uh, pitching against Seattle uh, earlier last week when he's locked in like it's it's really good he can dot it all over the place and then he was fighting it a bit especially in the first inning against Cincinnati so that I think gives uh, Barrios a bit of a nod but if he can't up the swing and miss and Kikuchi can continue missing bats then I think it's more of an interesting conversation. Like he has more of a track record, I would say. Um, Burrio certainly, but Kikuchi stuff. I like is Kikuchi's raw stuff right on par with Burrios. Yeah, might you be. might be able to have that argument. Yeah, I think he definitely could, especially when you're throwing 97 uh, from the left side. Now that uh, cutter, slurve, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I mean, it's still kind of hit or miss. I mean, the changeup can look pretty plus at times too, but the fastball is just elite for, you know, you say Kikuchi, just no one can seemingly touch it. I don't know why he doesn't throw it even more, to be honest with you, because it doesn't seem like he gives up much off it, even when guys do get a hold of it. Um, I mean, anybody can hit a 97 mile an hour fastball down the middle in, in the major leagues, but it just seems like, you know, more often than not, he's able to get away with it for you know, whatever reason. But uh, he has been great since uh, turning around against the Yankees at the beginning of the month. One of the big 
conversations over the weekend was, of course, uh, Alec Manoa getting pulled after eight innings, 83 pitches, giving up one earned run against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, a lot of people, you know, pulling their hair out, not seeing him come out for the ninth inning. There was that great shot of him in the uh, dugout with Charlie Montoyo, Pete Walker, and basically telling him, like, yeah, sorry, you're, you're done. And he's like, I, I give me a shot. Give me a shot. I want to get out there. I want to finish this game. Now, you know, you look at the situation and – to be honest, I, I think, you know, Charlie Montoyo, Pete Walker, they should have let him go back out there, mm-hmm. Like I, I think, to at least give him a shot. The reason I say that is because we saw a very similar situation with Kevin Gossman uh, earlier this season when he, I think it was the Red Sox, where he went out there and he was given a chance to try to close it out, gave up the first runner, and, and the Blue Jays uh, went to Jordan Romano. Now, it was uh, squeaky bum time in that game as well when Jordan Romano uh, almost coughed it up uh, against the Red Sox, but we've seen it time and time before. The Blue Jays like Romano coming into a game Uh, When the inning is clean right at the beginning, they don't like to bring him in with runners on unless they absolutely have to. And that was sort of the fear that if, you know, Alec Manoa gives up a hit, you know, allows a runner on base to start the ninth, then they got to bring Jordan Romano in here who had just pitched the night before, who's just coming back from his, you know, stomach issue. Um, Maybe they just wanted to keep it as clean as possible for him. Ends up working out, ends up getting the final three outs has looked phenomenal. In fact, since he uh, returned uh, from his little stomach bug issue, but what did you make of the Manoa situation? Did you agree with it? Did you understand it? Did you absolutely fucking hate it? Where, where do you uh, stand on it? I'm actually not, in the camp that really minded it. Like, would I have been okay to give him a shot? Absolutely. He probably deserved it. But at the same time, like, you know, the, the big problem I have is people saying, well, you might need Romano on Sunday. And, you know, I, you could have ended up using him considering the Jays. It's a logical assumption that the Jays are going to play a tight ball game and might need all of their leverage relievers with the way things are going right now. But I just can't subscribe to that. You can't manage what's, in the future, you have to manage what's in front of you. And Manoa had given up some hard contact along the way. Like it wasn't as if he was just absolutely shutting everything down. Like there were a couple of spots where he navigated some trouble, you know, Espinal made a great defensive play. Like it wasn't as if it was absolutely spotless. He's a battler and he grinded and he did what he needed to do to probably deserve an opportunity. But say you give up a lead off. I think it was fam was up to start the top of the ninth, you give up a, a base runner, a walk, whatever he reaches base. Then are you immediately hooking? If it's a one batter situation, I'd rather have Romano in clean. I don't want Romano coming in with man, men on base. Like I understand the, the best leverage relievers will take care of business. And he did, he struck out the side, but it's always better to, you give a painter a, a clean canvas. You like, you don't have shit all over a painting and have him <laughs> try and paint over it. You let him, deal from a blank slate a little bit. So on one hand, I get it, but at the same time, I actually was on board with it and he validated it. And, you know, the reason the Jays lost on Sunday wasn't because, you know, Jordan Romano wasn't available. It was because they, they couldn't hit. So like the, there's no connection there between, you know, going to him and then not having him on Sunday score more runs and you'll solve those problems. But I I thought it was a, a totally fine decision and uh, I really didn't have much of an issue with it at all. Yeah, look, I, I think if the Blue Jays were up three runs, four runs, then they let them come back out because mm-hmm. that's, you know, a, a big enough deficit to at least give them some wiggle room yeah. if a, a man gets on base. But, you know, if Manoa comes out, gives up a base hit, allows a base runner, then the tying run comes to the yeah. plate. And, you know, Jordan Romano, 
as good as he has been at times, you know, has a propensity of giving up some home runs, you know, in those spots. We saw it earlier this year with a guy like uh, Jeremy Pena down in uh, Houston. So he's not completely, you know, untouchable, um, you know, in those spots. But it, it just seems like people never think about what could happen, like negatively. Um, and like I said, we saw it in Boston. It worked out um, against the Red Sox when Gossman came out of that game in the ninth after allowing the, uh, the first runner to reach and Jordan Romano had some great defense behind him, but it almost blew up in their face. Oh yeah. It did. So I yeah. mean, like we've seen the, you know, opposite mm-hmm. where it goes that direction. You know, if Manoa comes out, gives up a base runner and, you know, the blue Jays somehow go on to lose that game. Cause he either gives up the game winning run or the go ahead run or Romano does it. I mean, what are people saying at that point, right? Like, are people still patting themselves on the back, patting Charlie yeah. on the back? Great job, Charlie. You, you gave the guy the shot. Like it sucks that you lost to the worst team in baseball, but you yeah. gave him a chance. Like yeah. nobody, nobody no. is saying that. Of so not. his job is to win the baseball game the best way that he can. And that's what he wanted to do. It sucks because you would have liked to seen a guy who was pitching really well, go out there and wrap it up and have the first, uh, you know, complete game in, in you know, the, with the Jays since uh, I think it was Stroman back in 2017. So it is pretty rare that yes. we see these types of feats with the blue Jays, but just win. Like that's all that matters, especially when you can't hit the baseball right now, you're mm-hmm. not trying to win with style points and trying to get guys stats here. Like these guys just want to win ball games. It was nice to see Manoa want to come out. He's a competitor. That's what he does. Uh, but he understood it as well. I mean, he said it post game. It's like, you know, I wanted to come out, but Hey, we got the win. Like that's, that's all that matters. Uh, they just want to get some W's at this point. Uh, the lack of power um, as we touched on is really surprising with 11 homers in May. You know, one guy that I think has, you know, started to turn around the last couple of weeks Still under 100 WRC plus for the month, but does it feel like Matt Chapman is starting to figure something out for you, Josh? He has started to hit the ball with more authority. Um, the power, you know, the last couple of weeks has just one homer, hit one against uh, Seattle uh, in that game against Chris Flexen. Uh, six homers on the year. I know both of us thought, you know, this is a guy that had potential for 40 homers yeah, on the season. Not looking good. Uh, not looking good. <laughs> He'd have to go on the biggest heater of all time, I think, yeah. to touch. That number, but yeah. you know, after an up and down uh, April, it hasn't been great so much in May. But I, I would say the last couple of weeks, at least the process has started to look a shade better for for Matt Chapman. Do you have some hope that here that uh, maybe he will figure it out offensively and and maybe be a little bit better than he was uh, earlier this year and especially a season ago when he was just uh, slightly above average, sitting at a 101 WRC plus? Because I mean the strikeouts are down, you know, five percent from where they were last year. Still strikes out a lot. But um, especially of late, it does seem like he's, you know, starting to sting the ball a little more. Yeah, well, I, I think it was Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs wrote an article about the Blue Jays' lack of power production or just really production from some of their infielders. And Chapman was included and, and Kevin Biggio uh, was also included. And, and Bo, based on his slow start, like Chapman's numbers on fly balls. He's gotten job this year, like in terms of some of his expected numbers and his real numbers. Like I know some people will just always like to take a piss on expected numbers. You know, the baseball's changed. And I get that there's some validity to that, but he's gotten a little bit unlucky. Like he's hit some fly balls hard that just haven't traveled. I think the way that they would have traveled even last year, certainly a couple of years ago. So like he's left some on the table there or had some taken off the table, I guess is a better way to say it. Like, I agree with you that the process has been decent. Yeah, he still expands the zone uh, a little bit much for my liking with two strikes. A lot of hitters do expand the zone with two strikes. Like the league, 
wide numbers with two strikes are horrible. You're, you're at the pitcher's mercy. They can throw the kitchen sink at you, sink at you. It's pretty tough. So I'm not really holding that against him too much. Like a lot of his uh, numbers look decent when you pop the hood. He, he, if he continues on this trajectory where he's not chasing quite that much and he's making hard contact uh, and he's making contact period. Like if you can just make enough contact, his exit velocity numbers, I think are overall pretty strong. And if you can just put the ball in play and, and find ways like he, we've seen him a couple of times, go back up the middle, go to right field. That's when you find that he's really at his best when he's using the whole field. If he can just continue making contact at a decent clip, I think that you're going to see the batting average rise a little bit, and you're obviously going to start to see some more extra base hit pop and some more fly balls actually leave the fence as opposed to dying, you know, 380 feet to center field or, (laughs) you know, 360 feet to left center, something like that. Matt Chapman came to Toronto thinking, you know, a lot of these fly balls I hit at the Coliseum are probably going to go out. And that hasn't been the case. He's had so many, you know, warning track fly outs, balls that are just dying at the fence. But looking at his baseball savant page, I mean, there's a ton of red 92 uh, when it comes to the average exit velocity, 92nd percentile, uh, 88th percentile for max exit velo, 97th percentile for hard hit rate. You know, the expected numbers are really good. The barrel number is good. Like, it's all really good. Like you said, when you pop uh, pop up the hood and uh, take a look at what's actually going on with the process. But uh, that damn baseball is just uh, fucking up a lot of guys right now uh, with regards to some of their season-long numbers. Let's get into the uh, listener questions. A bunch uh, to get to this week. As always, you can reach us at DFA underscore pod. Tyson says, how does the catching scenario shape up when Gabriel Moreno is ready to go three catchers and Zach Collins goes to play first base DH. Do you trade Alejandro Kirk? I think this was uh, an easy question to answer at this point, Josh. I mean, Zach Collins was great. He was like a folk hero for uh, a couple of weeks there hitting some, you know, big homers, but uh, he has dried up offensively the last couple of weeks. He has a minor league option, you know, Kirk and uh, Jansen aren't going anywhere unless you want to move one of them. But, you know, even though Gabriel Moreno has started to swing it a lot better down in the minors, maybe he is one of the quick fixes that you bring up. But if he does, that means you're going to get less playing time for a guy like Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk, who's you know started to heat up of late, uh, unless you want to play Gabriel Moreno somewhere in the infield. But, um, you know, it just doesn't seem like the time's right at, mm-hmm. at this point for Moreno. We'd love to see him. You know, he's only got one homer down in Buffalo. Still, the power hasn't come back after that thumb injury from last year, you would think. But he's hitting 347. You know, he's doing a lot of great things, gunning guys out at second base and around the bases the defenses look pretty good but just you know as far as the timing goes it doesn't seem right but if he does I mean Zach Collins has to be the one uh, heading down to Buffalo you would think yeah it's only Zach Collins I I, in in line to agree with you that I just don't think Moreno's there yet like we saw him hit his first home run a couple of days ago at AAA you'd like to see a little bit more pop he's had some nice moments defensively but you just got to give him some runway to catch close to every day professionally. It just really hasn't had much of an opportunity. And this is a good opportunity for him to do that. And, you know, those kinds of moves where it's just like, oh, well, our offense is scuffling to hell. Let's bring up uh, one of our top prospects and, and hope that he can be a savior. I, 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 I don't love that unless you're, you feel he's a hundred percent ready. And I just don't think that the blue Jays, you know, are there. They're a pretty, 
prudent, you know, I would, wouldn't go as far as to call them risk averse organization, but they're going to cross their T's and dot their I's before they bring him up. Like they're not going to bring him up a moment before they deem him to be ready. And if they thought he was ready, he'd probably be up by now. They'd figure out a way to make it work. And, and they, I think, determine that he is. And I don't think that he is. And, you know, Zach Collins, when the rosters, I know, I think it's at the end of the month when they have to kind of, you know, you can, it changes with the pitchers. Like it kind of condenses again, you know, you got a little bit more because of the, uh, the accelerated spring. I expect by June 1st, uh, I would be surprised if Zach Collins is still on the active roster, at least uh, with the major league club, he'll go down uh, to AAA and then you roll with Jansen and Kirk and that's a good duo. I, mm. I maintain that Jansen and Kirk is a above well above league average on the whole catching tandem. Yeah. Catchers around major league uh, stink for the most part Yeah, uh, when it comes to offense. And you've got two guys here that have shown an ability to be above average offensive players. Uh, I know one of them isn't really showing it right now. Danny Jansen since coming back from injury, but uh, was really good to start off the season. And uh, Kirk has definitely heated up of Lates. Uh, Inno wants to know uh, thoughts on players who could help the bullpen and potential deadline acquisitions. The The bullpen has started to show some leaks of late, Josh. Tim Mays, of course, uh, dealing with uh, the elbow inflammation. Uh, Jimmy Garcia just not getting any swings and misses right now, which is really bizarre because he's a guy that hasn't had you know a ton of those issues in the past. You know, Trevor Richards has been uh, up and down. You know, Adam Simbers had some moments here or there. It's going to happen. It's a long season. Uh, you know, those guys came over at the deadline, Richards and Simbers, uh, Simber especially. And, you know, they were great because it was half a season and, and lots of guys can get the job done in half a season. Uh, but right now, you know, this bullpen maybe doesn't look as strong as it did earlier this year when you and I and a lot of other people had high hopes for it. You know, bullpen targets, I, I mean, it's hard to say right now, uh, especially with some you know guys that could become available as teams fall out of the race as we get closer to the end of July. But I mean, my concern isn't with the bullpen. My concern is with the bats. Uh, that's what I'm looking at. And you touched on one guy that I think you know is probably right at the top of the list in Josh Bell. I mean, how could he not be? He's off to just an insane start. This guy does not strike out. Hits the ball hard. Maybe hits it on the ground uh, a little bit too much. But uh, when he gets a hold of one, uh, he can do some damage. Maybe a guy like uh, Andrew Benintendi from the Royals, a guy that can play some outfield, another guy that doesn't strike out a ton, can put a ball in play uh, mm-hmm. with runners in the scoring position. I think that's important. Uh, if you're looking beyond that, you know, it's another lefty hitter, uh, a guy I think we saw, uh, you know, in uh, the Seattle series. I mean, Adam Frazier, I think, is kind of interesting um, as a guy that can play some infield, some outfield. And if you want to go dumpster diving, I think, you know, Ben Gamble from the Pirates yeah. might be, you know, kind of interesting. He's really yeah. slowed down the last couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. a guy that can uh, be a good righty bat in a platoon situation. So trying to be realistic here. Uh, we didn't say the name Juan Soto because no. I think we're no. just wasting our time talking no. about the uh, article from Buster Only that came out and uh, the speculation surrounding uh, Juan Soto. Um, you know, uh, just not even going to touch that with a 50 foot pole. But I think if we're looking at realistic players, those are some guys that stand out for me. Yeah. I, I, Ian Happ, I think could be interesting switch hitter patient strikes out a bit, but uh, speed and power and then relief wise, I, I, you know, David Bednar is not going to be cheap from Pittsburgh. Like you look at some of his numbers, he misses bats. He's got a couple of plus pitches. He's got below leverage. He's got control. 
that would check a lot of boxes. Like, I don't know what the cost is. Like you're talking a couple of top 20 prospects. I'm paying that. I'm paying that all day because the Blue Jays bullpen right now, like the lineup is overshadowed some of the concern there. And the bullpen has managed to, to make do not missing bats at a particularly good clip. But you're only going to tempt fate for so long in Major League Baseball with the way that the game is these days if you don't miss bats with your leverage or your bullpen arms top to bottom. Like, it's just you're not going to have a lot of success if you're relying on pitching to contact. And we've seen that here and there with that Blue Jays bullpen kind of sprouting up and having some issues. And, like, the guys that they have aren't suddenly going to morph into – prodigious strikeout pitchers like this is what it is they're not going to miss enough bats and could we say that they didn't do enough to address the bullpen coming into the season absolutely I think that that is a 100% fair criticism like as much as we like some of the moves that were made you know they didn't do enough in terms of getting more balance in the lineup and I don't think that they did enough in terms of addressing strike throwers and guys who can miss bats at a good clip in the bullpen and those are still real issues and they could become more magnified if your offense, what's existing here, doesn't cover up some of the deficiencies. Like the starting pitching has just basically taken control and managed to pull this team up by the bootstraps to an above 500 record. But that can't last. Like you're just not going to win 2-1 games all season. Like I, ju- I just, you're relying too much on a, a bounce of the ball one way or the other to go your way to necessarily, you know, hold up over 162. So a uh, bullpen as much as anything is, is the addition uh, that I think would be most important. And, but it's like almost in tandem with a, another left-handed bat. Like those are both very, very glaring needs. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause you know, I think one guy that uh, we haven't talked a ton about because he feels like he's just off in the wilderness somewhere is Nate Pearson. And yeah. I think the Blue Jays are still expecting a lot from when he comes back, you know, recently through a simulated game down in extended spring in uh, Dunedin, still building back up in a bulk role. I know he was out with mono and, you know, if you talk to anybody that's ever had it before, I mean, that just uh, crushes you mm-hmm. and it does take people a long time to, to get their stamina back. So I think there is some, um, some, you know, a situation where this is pretty real that it's not just, you know, the blue Jays are being super cautious or that, you know, there's something else going on with Nate Pearson. I think he's just truly having to, build up a lot uh, from where he was at the beginning of uh, spring training. So maybe that is the old, you know, internal deadline ad in a guy like Nate Pearson who can come in and can get some, you know, swing and miss. Uh, as far as we know, it's just him building up. It's not like he's, you know, hurt. It wasn't like he was dealing with an arm injury. It was mono. Um, so you would think he'll be able to come in and, you know, perform well. He did look really good in spring training too. So I think there is some, you know, optimism around the, the things that he could do, but it's all about health. He just has not been able to stay uh, on the field long term. So even if you get him uh, back sometime soon, uh, who's to say that he might not be leaving again very shortly after that with uh, some new ailments. But uh, that is a player, of course, to keep an eye on when it comes to Nate Pearson and his return to the Blue Jays. So this uh, next question from Greg kind of goes in parcel with the uh, Alec Manoa conversation from earlier. Would love to know how much power Charlie has during games to make critical decisions and how much is coming down from the analytics team. I've seen Gosman being able to start the ninth this season, but not Manoa with a lower pitch count. Seems like Charlie does not have the final 
say. Um, as far as we know, I mean, you know, Charlie will never come out and be like, yeah, I get to do this. This is the list of things that I can do. But, you know, from what we are able to gather, the analytics team, you know, they give Charlie, they give Pete Walker, they give Guillermo Martinez, the whole coaching staff, the stats, the numbers, and it's up them to yeah. decide what they want to do. In-game, you know, there's not a bat phone with uh, Ross Atkins calling down, being like, uh, pick off play at second, please. Like, yeah. that's not how this works. It's, yeah. you know, all predetermined prior to the game with the you know high performance department who's good to go who's not what's the situation with everybody and then it's up to charlie pete walker his staff to decide what happens in the middle of the game so i I know greg is saying it doesn't seem like he has the final say but charlie montoyo has the the final say yeah i i think like there's a collaboration like i think he's consulting with his coaches as well obviously but it's not like you said there's not some dork from upstairs in the analytics department who is like, ah, well, you know, we got to go this direction. <laughs> and hey, I, I, I love the analytics and, and I'm yeah, a dork. We are dorks. We yeah, are I'm dorks. a dork. So uh, like that, that's not the case. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, like I think people have this feeling like, oh, well, he's this manager. He's kind of soft spoken a little bit that he doesn't have authority on stuff. Like, I, I, I just don't think that that's the case whatsoever. Like, I think he makes the call with information coming from a variety of different sources. Yeah. And I've said this before, um, you know, especially you mentioned the, the C word collaboration. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, see Charlie, they did anyways, as like this puppet for the front office. So oh, Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, it's their guy. And he just dances out there. You know, he does whatever they say. But I've always made this point. If you are running a baseball team and you want to, you know, bring people in to run your team, why would you ever bring someone in that doesn't want to do what you fucking want them to do? Like, that's just makes no sense. If you had a company and you're like, you know what, I'm going to hire a manager to run my store and they're just going to do the opposite of what you want to do. It just makes no sense. So, no, I'm not saying Charlie doesn't have his opinions and other people in the front office don't have differing opinions. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, they want this done a certain way and they want Charlie to be collaborative with that. There's going to be some tweaks. There's going to be some disagreements here. But at the end of the day, everybody's pulling in the same direction. So I think that's that's what's going on here uh, with Charlie and company. Final question of the week goes to Karen, who asks, what are your expectations for the Blue Jays for the rest of the season? What do you see in that crystal ball of yours, Josh? Is it uh, good? Is it apocalyptic? What are we looking at? Peace. It's not a, I don't think it's apocalyptic, but I don't, I'm, I'm definitely concerned um, about the offense here and, and how much they're going to be able to figure it out to the extent where they can post those gaudy wins and, and change the pendulum, swing it towards the green side of the run differential. And instead of looking at red every day, like, do I think that they're a playoff team considering the expanded format? Yes. But I do think that myself, like I, I think a lot of us were guilty of it. There, there may have been an element of overrating uh, this, this lineup because like everyone had a career year and then, you know, was everyone going to do that again? Probably not. We weren't expecting most of the guys to regress to the extent that they have, but some regression probably should have been expected. But even with a little bit of regression, if you had gotten the pitching that you're getting, that still probably should have been plenty good to win a lot of ball games. So I still think that this is a, a 90 or so win team. I think it's a team that can make the playoffs probably will make the playoffs. Certainly should make the playoffs. Do I think that they're winning the division? Probably not. Do I think that they're better than the Yankees or the Rays at this very moment in time? No. Do I think that 
they forecast to be better than the Yankees or the Rays? Probably not as they're currently constituted. Like the Yankees pitching is really good. The Rays are the Rays. Yankees are going to hit. Yankees have a good bullpen, even with some injuries. Probably not. Like I I think it's fair to be disappointed and we all should probably take uh, a little bit of a slap on the wrist for anointing this team uh, with perhaps maybe some of the red flags or concerns uh, staring us in the face more than perhaps we wanted to, to let on. Yeah, I think the last thing you want is this podcast to turn into like the the Marty York podcast. No, I'm not calling, doing that. We're calling them the Blow Jays every <laughs> single week and just talking about how the team is garbage and they've yeah. never been good. Like, I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. No. Like, I don't think they're they're the Blow Jays. Uh, that's definitely not the case. But I, I, I think your point is correct that maybe we uh, overrated this offense just a little too much. I still think there's a, an aspect of the baseball that I guess we just never mm-hmm. considered. But as I said before, I mean, the Yankees don't have any issues hitting this baseball uh, the Astros some of these other teams the baseball is fine with them you know the Blue Jays seemingly are getting the same shitty baseballs like why can't they yeah. uh, hit them either so you know maybe the Yankees if anything were underrated uh, by us that uh, they've been a lot better than we all expected they've been healthy which is good I yep. mean Stanton and Judge have actually been on the field that's been uh, an issue in the past but I, look, I can't see the Blue Jays getting any worse. I mean, the month of May offensively was just so, so bad. You know, as we touched on, Lourdes Goriel Jr. has a WRC plus of five. Say Oscar Hernandez, since coming back, is like minus 16. Yeah. Like, that's just not going to continue no. for the rest of the season. Like, I feel 100% confident that those guys are not going to continue to be that bad. But, you know, Vlad's got to get going. George Springer's got to get going again. They can't just have Bo Bichette you know, carrying this team uh, every week. That's not enough. Like this reminds me of a little league team where you've only got one guy that can hit the ball over the fence. And like yeah. Obichette is the only guy that can do it right now. Nobody else can seemingly, you know, bring the pop and he's hitting solo homers or two run shots. And in some cases that's enough to win ball games for this team. But just like you said, if they keep scoring three runs a game, I mean, there's just so much margin for error that uh, they're going to lose a large percentage of them and uh, not be able to find themselves uh, in a playoff spot. But yeah, it's uh, not looking great as it stands right now, but it can only go up. And uh, maybe that starts tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals as the Blue Jays open up a series down in Missouri as uh, Jose Barrios will get the start against, uh, I think it's Miles Michaelis, one of the uh, better names in all of baseball. Finally, it is time to get to the the T-Oscars, the uh, player of the week awards and we've got five nominees for the Tay Oscars Bobachet who went 7 for 24 last week had three homers Jose Barrios seven innings pitched no earned, uh, earned runs against Seattle Alec Manoa with his impressive performance against the Reds with eight innings and giving up one earned run Santiago Espinal the two hitter for the Blue Jays tonight who is on a 15 game hitting streak and Yusei Kikuchi who suddenly finds himself on the uh, Tay Oscar nominations every single week now uh, after a two earned run performance last week uh over 10 and a, a third inning striking out 13 batters who's a your teoscar going to this week josh well I, I think that you know it's convenient it works out i feel like there's two obvious choices this week so i would think whoever i don't pick you'll probably pick so i'll, I'll go with alec manoa you know it was only one start but we talked about it he, he, he certainly could have made the argument that he deserved the ninth but he's just been so good since he got up here it's like, I just don't think we're, we're talking about it quite enough, just how staggering it is for a rookie pitcher, which he was last year, now in his second year, to come up and basically, like, I wouldn't say dominate, but he was been really, really good and consistent. And there have been some dominant 
stretches for sure in the American League East. Like it's one thing, you know, young pitcher coming out of college, limited minor league experience to come up in the NL East, especially when pitchers were pitching and have some success. But he's done it in, you know, the grind that is the American League East. And how many bad, quote unquote, bad starts has he even had in his, you know, yeah. more than 20, close to 30 starts in the league? Like even the bad ones, it's like maybe he gives up four runs and five and two thirds or six innings or something like that. He hasn't gotten shelled yet really at any point in his career. And it's just, it's so impressive what he's been able to do from the jump. And there's no reason to think that he won't, I mean, he's not going to pitch to a sub two ERA, but he could pitch to a two, five ERA two five, five, something like that. And be at least in contention for a Cy Young award. He's that good. Like I think him and Gosman can be Cy Young type pitchers all season long. Yeah, it's been phenomenal watching him work so far this season and just his entire career. Like you said, I mean, how many starts can we say he's made that have been bad? You can count them on one hand uh, with Alec Manoa. It's been uh, really, really impressive. You said the other one was obvious. And I was like staring at the sheet being like, oh, God, is it Bichette? Is he saying Espinal? Uh, Kikuchi? Like I'm tempted, I, I am tempted to pick Bo Bichette because those three homers were big, of course, and the Blue Jays only have 11 of them in this month. Uh, so he's had like almost uh, 30% of the homers that the Blue Jays have hit so it wasn't far Bo. in the month of it May. It wasn't Bo who I was referring to. It wasn't to. Bo. Okay, no. so I, I'm guessing it's Espinal. I mean, yeah. a 15-game hitting streak yeah. is uh, impressive. I mean, Vladdy recently had a 14-gamer. Uh, Might have been the most unimpressive 14-game hit streak oh, yeah. I think I've ever seen because it was God. just... Uh, little dinks and little bloops and little grounders up the middle yeah. for 14 games in a row. Just absolutely uh, no pop whatsoever from Vladimir Groundout Jr. But uh, <laughs> Santiago Espinal, I guess I got to give it to him. 15 game hitting streak. And, you know, this is another guy who has just been so, so impressive over the, the last year and a bit. You know, it's the bat that definitely stands out this year where he's hitting the ball with a lot more authority. Uh, the ABs are definitely a lot more competitive than they were a year ago, but just the defense as well. I mean, some of the ridiculous plays he made over the past week um, at second base, he is just so, so reliable. Like it is crazy to be talking about a guy in Santiago Espinal currently leading the Blue Jays in F war. Like that's good, but also really, really bad because yeah. that means, you know, the Springers and the Bichettes and the Guerrero juniors are not leading this team in war. But I mean, considering they got him for Steve Pierce uh, in a nothing trade, uh, the Blue Jays have hit the jackpot here with a guy who is an everyday player and, you know, not even just a role player at this point. I mean, he is producing like a well above average major league player at second base. I mean, through 41 games, I think you can say he's one of the better second basemen in all of baseball. Like that's yep. what we are looking at right now. We are. And uh, like in terms of position players, I think he's in the top 25 in war fan graphs war. Like it's still a relatively small sample size, but like I still, he's still sitting on two home runs, but his average exit velocity is way up. Like all the talk about it, he bulked up, seems to be paying dividends. He's hitting the ball harder. He'd still like to see a few more leave the fence, but he's really one of the few players who start to finish this year you can't have any qualms with what he's given you. He's been, I would say probably the most consistent uh, blue Jay pitchers. Like it's hard to say because, you know, they pitch every couple of days, but position players, no question. He's been the most consistent. Like there really haven't been any down stretches. Like he's just been, you know, brings his lunch pail hard hat every day and gets it done. It's not necessarily the prettiest offensively, but his contact skills are good. 
he's a really nice piece to have in the lineup when you have some swing and miss and guys who can run a little lean sometimes home run happy. And, and if it's not there, it dries up as we're seeing, he puts the bat on the ball and puts pressure on opposing pitchers every game. And it's been really fun to see. It's kind of, he's kind of a throwback player and it's a, uh, I'm really enjoying watching him. It's a little bit different than than what we're seeing major league wide, but uh, doesn't make it any less entertaining. Yeah, I don't know if he necessarily has the same amount of pop as this other former Blue Jay I'm going to mention, but I mean, there's some similarities there with him and Devin Travis. Like, I, I think yeah. there's, you know, that uh, guy that's just a gamer, puts the bat on the ball, doesn't strike out a bunch, is going to run into a homer, going to give you, you know, a decent average, going to give you the occasional homer here and there. And, and I think there's uh, a lot of similarities. The, the You know, the style and the flair, I think Espinal has a lot more flair, especially when it comes to the defensive side of things, where, you know, Devin Travis was was more just like business-like and, you know, it's hit to him, you know, it's going to be an out. Um, Espinal has a lot more range and has a lot more uh, depth to his defensive play. But uh, yeah, the Blue Jays have been blessed uh, having some really strong infielders the last couple of seasons. And uh, Espinal is the latest of the bunch. All right, that'll do it for us on another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. Send us your thoughts uh, on your on the podcast and all of your questions. You can also get us on all of your podcatchers. Hit us up on Twitter on our personal accounts, Rob Wong 34 at Jay Goldberg 12. For Josh, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you in a week's time.